Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. In this episode, Max Schlegel, a high-tech leader with over 20 years of experience, talks about his experience working in Japan and the lessons learned. Welcome, Matt. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Matt Schlegel delivers expertise in the areas of expense reduction, problem solving, team leadership, product development, and working with Japanese joint development partners. Matt recently released the book titled Teamwork 9.0. He has also founded Sakino Consulting to help companies in joint product development ventures with Japanese partners bring new products to market. After graduating with a bachelor's in engineering and a master's in electrical engineering and applied physics, Matt was granted a Mombusho scholarship to perform research at the University of Tokyo. He spent three years living, studying, and working in Japan. So Matt, when was your experience living in Japan? I lived in Japan. It was right at the tail end of the, the Japanese bubble. So it was the years were um, 1991 through 1994. It's a very interesting time to be in Japan. Your research work took place at the University of Tokyo. Did you stay in Tokyo for three years? Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to find a company that wanted me to join them after I did my research at the University of Tokyo. So they allowed me to stay in one of the company dorms that was um, in a town in Tokyo called Kiba. And so my wife and I lived in that company dorm, and then I commuted from Kiba to the University of Tokyo every day. You were an expatriate, and expatriates typically go through s- several stages of adaptation in the host country. And the first stage is called the honeymoon stage, during which we tend to be excited about and discovering the host country. What were your first impressions about Japan living there and working there? Everything about Japan, to me, was so different than my experience in living and working in the United States. So every day was a new adventure. Every day was an opportunity to learn something new. And I can see why, you know, there, it's called that honeymoon phase. And I think the, the, for me, the honeymoon phase was also, you know, complicated by the fact that I started as a student and I did that for a little over a year and a half. And then I spent the last part of my stay in Japan working at a company. So that first part, that approximately two years, was in Tokyo in that town called Kiba. And then the last part, I moved out to where the work site was, where I was going to be working. And that was in a town called Sakura, which is very near the town of Narita, where the uh, international airport is, in what's called Chiba-ken. So it's like a state, Chiba-ken. You know Japanese before you moved there or you learned in Japan? 
I had only taken about a year of beginning Japanese. So when I got there, you know, I could say, Arigato gozaimashita or sumimasen, you know, just really basic Japanese. Uh, but one of my goals, and this was a, a, a childhood goal of mine, was to live and work in a country outside of the U.S. so that I could become fluent in a different language. And so I really focused on learning Japanese, especially while I was at the university. I would spend most mornings studying Japanese, and then I did my research in the afternoons. So Japan is known for working very long hours. Did you witness or experience the stress associated with those long working hours? It's been a while, but I think there was a number of different stressors for me. Just being outside of my, you know, comfortable, you know, where I grew up, you know, and being in a situation that um, where I don't fully understand the language, there was that stress level. And, you know, and then, you know, having to, we had our first child in Japan. And so, you know, dealing with, you know, having a child and, and raising a child in a foreign country when not everything is familiar and you don't have, you know, your family support system there to help you. Um, that was a stress. And then, you know, the, the work itself it was, you know, is very, I love the work. So ac the actual work itself wasn't that bad just because I love doing it. It was more just the other factors of just being not quite knowing what to do in certain situations or being, you know, frustrated when you try to do something the way you would normally do it and you can't do it that way. So, so there were those types of stresses. How do Japanese workers differ from their American counterparts? In so many ways, you know, I, I, could, I could describe a number of things, but I think what stands out to most people is just the decision-making process. In Japan, it's very consensus-driven, and whereas in America, it's, it's more of a, you, you know, just make a decision and go and try it, and if it doesn't work, then try something else. And so you're, you're essentially making lots of decisions very quickly, whereas the Japanese approach is very methodical and thoughtful and also time consuming. And so, you know, that is one of the big differences that I noticed. Any other differences that would be interesting to American workers? I think that the way they manage working together in a group, so it's, it's very group centric, whereas the um, American approach is, is much more individualistic. And so you do a lot of things as a group. So you take breaks as a group, you socialize as a group. This was one of the, my favorite things was going to karaoke in, or karaoke in, in the US it's called, but you know, just going out with everybody to sing. You go to the, the karaoke place and everybody sings and you're expected to sing. And it almost doesn't matter 
if you're a good singer or a bad singer, it's this is what we're all doing, so we're all going to do it. And so, you know, that was another big standout for me. Japan is known to be a collectivist society where the good and the needs of the organization come before the needs of the individuals. Did you notice, other than through karaoke, uh, (laughs) did you notice this collectivism while working there? Absolutely. In fact, you think of Japan as a democracy or a capitalist democracy, but when I was there, because it's so group-oriented and consensus-oriented, the thought occurred to me is, I wonder if this is kind of what a communist society would look like, because it's just so oriented towards working together communally. One of my most difficult times in Japan while I was working there and, and visiting there was the lack of expression of feelings. I have a, you know, as a French-born person, it's it's very hard. You know, we tend to do the opposite and expressing our feelings every chance we have. I didn't feel that the Japanese were comfortable doing that. Did you get that also, that same feeling? And how did you manage that? There's actually a saying, you know, honnen tatemai, you know, so you will put on a face to the world. And this, this is the, the face that you put on to the world, and it's the face that is expected of you. And there aren't a lot of feelings expressed or associated in that state when you're you know, dealing with the world. And then when you're in private and maybe with close friends, that's when you can express your, you know, honne, which is your, you know, what's really going on inside of you. Otherwise, you are putting on your patemai to the world. Did you have a difficult time communicating with them because of that? You know, I didn't. Being an engineer myself, I'd been in, in environments where, you know, we're doing engineering, we're putting facts first type of environments. And with you know very fact-focused individuals, engineers, so it wasn't that uncomfortable for me personally. Although you know sometimes I wanted to express myself, you know, just because you know I'm I'm not Japanese, and but you could sense that I uh, you know I'm I might be overstepping my bound here. It's a you know, and and you you just have to be sensitive to that when you're doing it. Matt, you're the author of the book Teamwork 9.0, which focuses on teamwork. Do Japanese employees work well in teams? I think the answer is pretty obvious. (laughs) I would say so. You know, they're very aware of what other team members are doing and thinking. They listen very closely it is a very team-centric approach. So yes, I absolutely would um, say that they're, they're very team-oriented. Any advice you can give for American HR, human resource professionals, who might manage Japanese employees here in the U.S.? There's a couple of um, things that I would recommend. One always is... Um, just check in with 
them and make sure that they're comfortable, they're not being frustrated, you know, because they're going through what I went through. And I really appreciated when, you know, somebody would come and, and just check in with me and ask me, you know, how I was doing, everything, at, at, you know, okay at home, just to make sure that, you know, I was in a good space. I appreciated that. If you really want to understand, you know, some of the, like the differences in the approaches, there's a great book called The Geography of Thought. Uh, the author is Richard Nisbet. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's N-I-S-B-E-T-T. -T. And um, he does a great job of, you know, highlighting how people from Western cultures tend to have a very atomistic approach. So they break things down to their little ingredients and then build them back up. Whereas people from Eastern cultures tend to look at the whole and they look at the whole system before they get down into the details. So you can't imagine a different way of, of looking at the world than those two perspectives. So people who are dealing with other cultures, you know, East versus West or West versus East, it's a great book to just give you insights into the perspective of the other approach. What advice would you give to someone who is considering working in Japan? I think that you definitely want to have read that book and understand that you are going to be dealing with a, a very different perspective. There's another great book I read, um, Chrysanthemum and the Sword, um, which um, really you know goes into great detail about Japanese culture in particular and where some of the the traditions come from so that you can understand that and it and when when i was reading these books it really um, shed light on you know what i was experiencing but not quite understanding of course as much as you can you want to um, learn the language and that was invaluable um, i i spent like i mentioned pretty much every morning studying the um, the kanji characters and then with that base i was able to you know build vocabulary and then become conversational which allows you to have a better experience while you're in the culture because you're you're able to have you know more meaningful conversations with people and and just understand better what's going on around you my experience in in japan I noticed that Japan is very much future-oriented, and yet we have a culture anchored in the past. Was that your experience, and how did you make sense of that dichotomy? I th think I see what you're saying about the future. There are some elements of Japanese culture that you know really stand out, right? So there's the aesthetic that you notice that kind of permeates the whole cultures you notice like this you know like in japanese gardens there's like this sense of perfectionism that kind of pervades that while 
having some some purposeful chaos in it and so it's like it's like the combination of you know a, a perfectly manicured garden with just a hint of natural chaos in it and so you you see it you know these elements of of i guess it's dualism that kind of are are in that aesthetic that come out so they are kind of looking at you know i think and i think you get the dualism of the future and the past another thing that you know i really appreciated as an engineer and just my personality is the intense focus on reliability how they you know want things to happen as expected you know so the trains when a train comes into the station if it's a minute late the announcer on the train will be apologizing i am so sorry we're a minute late <laughs> so it's like i mean they they take punctuality but just reliability in general um very seriously if you say i'm you know let's meet at eight o'clock you're meeting at eight o'clock there's no it, it's it's not like in our culture you know it's you say, oh, I'll be there at eight, eight o'clock and it's going to be, you know, eight, eight oh five, eight ten, eight fifteen. You know, there's an expectation if you say a time, then you're you will be there at that time. So and so many little things like this that that you pick up as you experience and live and immerse yourself in the culture that are really eye opening and give you a better perspective of different ways of, of looking at the world. Let me ask you a question about teams, since that's one of your specialization as a consultant. The strength of a team comes partially because of its diversity, right? Mm -hmm. And diversity of perspective, diversity of people, etc. And yet the Japanese population is very homogeneous. How do you make teams work effectively in Japan, if there's no diversity, you know, is that a kind of a downside to Japanese businesses? I would say there's a couple of things. One, diversity comes in many forms. And, um, you know, it, it, and one of the things I talk about in my book is really focused on style diversity. So even though we're all humans, we all have different starting points and different perspectives. And I use a tool called the Enneagram that says that there's these nine starting points. So there's these nine distinct styles that people have. And so I found that Japanese teams do embrace a sense of style diversity on the team because they make sure that everybody is heard. That's so important. So you can have a diverse team just in terms of style. Now, uh, I'll add on top of that, that I think I was invited to join that company specifically because they wanted to include a cultural style diversity. I'm coming from a different culture. I have a different approach. I have different educational background, um, even though it's engineering, it's, you know, very different, actually. And so when I um, was in that culture, I think I was 
giving them and sharing with them, you know, kind of the American approach to brainstorming and throwing ideas out and, you know, not being as worried about, well, what if, what if they think this or that of my idea? You know, I would just throw ideas out. And I think that was very refreshing for, for people to see that style. So, and I think Japanese companies really go out of their way to try and establish teams or working groups outside of the country, right? So, um, you know, I'm in Silicon Valley. Um, there's so many Japanese companies represented here that have research teams here who are immersing themselves in this culture and embracing that Silicon Valley innovative style. And then, you know, when they rotate people through and bring them back in. And so, you know, they're essentially seeding these different styles within the entire organization by rotating people around. You know, and that's another thing that, that I did see is that they intentionally rotate people around in groups. And so you, you're not expected to just stay on one track all the way through. You're actually expected to like move around in different groups and have different experiences. And that, that's another way that they instill diversity of perspective into everything they do. Matt, what was your biggest personal takeaway from your experience living and working in Japan? That's a great question. I'd say there's personal takeaways and professional takeaways. So I married a Japanese-American girl who I met in college in German class, and she was a German major. I was thinking about living and working in Germany as a, an engineer. And um, so when, you know, she ended up being a German major and she did a year abroad in Germany. And when she got back, I said, okay, let's go to Germany. And she said, now nah, I've already been there. Let's go somewhere else. I'm like, oh, okay. And that's when we had the idea to go to Japan. So that's when I started to learn Japanese and, um, and doing that and having that experience allowed me to have a much closer relationship with her family than I would have ever done otherwise. So I am really grateful for that. And then professionally, after having that experience of living and working in Japan, I was recruited by a company, a Silicon Valley startup, who was doing work with Japanese companies. And so even after I came back to Silicon Valley and was working in that company, I was traveling back and forth all the time to Japan and doing joint development projects with, with Japanese companies. And it was such a, a rewarding experience. Um, and I just, I just so loved that work. Um, so I'm, I'm really, you know, grateful for the, the opportunities that opened up because of my experience of having lived and, and worked in Japan. And just, you know, and just one funny thing is my Japanese, I could tell it was actually getting better after I 
came back to the United States because I was on the phone every evening talking to my Japanese counterparts. And as you know, you know, most communication is nonverbal. So when you cut off the, that nonverbal portion of communication and now you're just restricted to talking on the phone, you have to get really good at listening and responding. And, um, and so just doing that every night allowed me to actually improve my Japanese even after I got back. Thank you, Matt, for talking to us about your experience working and living in Japan. You bet. It's been a great pleasure and honor. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.